You're listening to F Stop Collaborate and Listen. This is episode 51 with Eric Stensland. I recorded this podcast in person uh, back in March uh, with Eric in Ridgeway, Colorado. And it was one of my favorite uh, episodes that I've ever recorded on the podcast. Um, we had a really great time. I think you can tell the chemistry uh, in person is just so much better. And I mean, Eric's story is just so inspiring. I could just talk to him for days and days and days and um, get so much inspiration out of him. And I hope I hope that you will as well. Um, Eric has several books um, that are worth checking out. And his photography is absolutely fantastic. We talked about his journey into photography and as a gallery owner in Estes Park. Um, nature as a vehicle for self-healing and the connection to introversion. Uh, leadership and our role as photographers in the conservation movement. Uh, how to bring goodness to the world through photography. Um, and why you take photos. I think that's an important topic to cover. Over on Patreon this week, uh, we talked a lot about what is it like to manage a gallery, own a gallery, and uh, how to do that successfully. Thanks for everyone that's uh, subscribing on Patreon. I really appreciate it. It's it's really helping the podcast. We're about a third of the way to, to my goal of of having $1,000 a month so that I can contribute to a, a, a landscape conservation award to a photographer out there. Um, I think that would be a really exciting way to reward somebody. And um, it's just really great to hear from the fans um, on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you name it. Um, I really appreciate it if you could leave a review and uh, uh, a rating on iTunes. That also helps the podcast. And uh, any ideas you have for future guests or topics, it's also, uh, I love hearing that from the fans. So I appreciate everyone who's been reaching out. I hope you enjoy this week's podcast. Thanks. Denslin, it's so cool to be in the same room with you to record the podcast from Ridgeway, Colorado. Uh, it's a real privilege to be here. I'm a huge fan of, uh, of this podcast, listen to just about every single one, and uh, have learned a lot. So it's a real pleasure to be here, and I feel I'm standing amongst a lot of people that uh, are much more gifted than myself. So. <laughs> Well, I mean, I think you know this, but I've been a fan of your work for a long time, and uh, I think you deserve to be uh, in this platform. So, And I also would like to add that you're one of the most thoughtful and intellectually interesting photographers that I know. Hmm. Okay, well, thank you. That's, uh, that's quite a compliment, because there's some <laughs> real thoughtful folks out there, and uh, I, I appreciate that. Yes. We'll see. You might change your mind by the end of the podcast, though. Right. I mean, this, we might just have to scratch this one. But... And that's just fine. I have no problem with that. So why don't you uh, tell the listeners just a little bit about yourself, your background, um, and how you came to be a landscape photographer that uh, has his own gallery in Estes Park at the base of Rocky Mountain National Park. Okay. I will do that. Um I, I took a very roundabout way to do what I, I do these days. You know, I grew up moving around the country. I think I moved probably 18 times before I was 18 as my dad was uh, fixing organizations for the mentally and physically disabled, getting them up on their feet. As soon as they were up on their feet, we'd move somewhere else. But somewhere around the age of five or six, we lived in Montana out in the mountains and I fell in love and thought, yes, this is home, the mountains. Um, but we ended up moving all over, um, went to school, uh, graduated from college, and I moved overseas to do development work, um, based in Austria for a while, but then we uh, moved to Bulgaria. And, but really, I was trying to get to Albania, where I eventually got to, and we spent seven years there leading development agencies. Um, did all sorts of things uh, in the development world, had all sorts of adventures. I think my wife is 
just about finished a book on our adventures for our son, at least, to, to read, you know, dealing with mafia and bandits. And, you know, we, we've got stories, uh, all sorts of stories. Um, and then after Albania, they had the war in Kosovo. We got heavily involved in that. Uh, the refugees basically came pouring out of Kosovo into the little town where we'd lived and knew the culture and language. And we ended up sort of getting into the situation of being the liaisons between the national people and the uh, United Nations High Commission for Refugees and, you know, Médecins Sans Frontières and everything. And pretty soon, before we knew it, uh, had started the largest refugee agency during the Kosovo War and trying to keep on top of that. Uh, overall, I think uh, the little project we started ended up caring for like 30,000 refugees for all their needs. Uh, during that time, my best friend died of a heart attack while mm. working together out there in Albania and Coast Albania. And uh, then after the war, I was asked to go and lead organizations in Kosovo um, and help bring organization to the chaos of 165 different independent agencies running around doing development work. So we came in and tried to organize that for a few years. And everything I did was life or death. It had implications for lots of people. And the stress of it took me out. Mm. And I basically collapsed and said, I got to get out of here. I, I got to get away. And uh, while I'm trying to figure out what to do, a friend of mine who didn't know why I was in this situation said, hey, you know, I've got a friend who lives at the edge of Rocky Mountain National Park who uh, is looking for someone to rent. Do you know anyone who'd be interested? And I said, yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> and so we moved out uh, thinking it'd be a two-year break to Colorado to the edge of Rocky Mountain National Park. And we got out there. I started a master's program. Uh, while I'm working on that, I realized I have no income. <laughs> this is a minor, problem. Minor detail. Minor detail. So what am I going to do? And I thought, well, I could do consulting. I could do this or that. I thought, no, I'm here because I'm in bad shape. I need to take care of myself. I don't want just a regular job. I want to do something that's going to restore and renew me. And so I looked at all the options. I thought, well, I could work for the park service. And I thought, no, they'll stick me in an office. <laughs> I thought, well, I could be a guide, even though I know nothing about the mountains in terms of being a guide. Maybe I could do that. And I thought, no, then I have a gaggle of people with me. And what I want is solitude, silence, and beauty. That's what I thought would heal me. And so I looked at all the options and I thought, well, there are all these pretty pictures. How do, who takes those? And I thought, maybe I could do that. So I remember going around and doing some research, and I talked to one of the galleries in Estes Park that was selling fine art photography and said, I'm thinking about becoming a landscape photographer. What do you think? Do you think that's a good idea? And they said, you know, it would be an impossible job to earn a living as a landscape photographer in Estes Park. So I thought, huh. I went home that night and thought, that's it. That sounds like a challenge. <laughs> and so I decided then and there I would become a landscape photographer. I hadn't done any photography, didn't really know anything. I had a cheap little tripod, uh, oh, just a cheap $10, $15 tripod, and a tiny little uh, point-and-shoot Nikon Coolpix. And I so went online and did a little research and said, oh, there's all these people from the Colorado Nature Photographers, part of the Nature Photographers Network. They're all getting together up at Dream Lake this coming Saturday. I'll go up and join them. And so I go up to Dream Lake early in the morning and meet these guys. And there were people like Scott Bacon and Brent Dorsman and a bunch of other guys out there. And they all had four by five wooden field cameras with <laughs> covers over their head. And I show up with my little tiny tripod with a tiny little you know, a two-inch by one-inch camera on top. And they kind of looked at me and said, what are you doing here? And I said, well, I've decided to become a landscape landscape photographer. And they just kind of shook their heads and said, yeah, right, right. How are you going to become a landscape photographer? But they were really nice, really welcoming, but they were questioning as they saw me. And uh, so I dedicated myself to becoming a landscape photographer, figuring it out. I spent weeks sitting at the local library looking at art books looking at photography books and trying to say oh this image that moves me i feel something when i look at that image why how did they do it where was the angle where was the light what what was the subject and i just tried to figure it out then i would go out into the mountains 
and try and take those principles, take a picture, and then they had this uh, the same forum online, Colorado Nature Photographers. I would post an image and say, please tear this apart, help me to see. And they'd say, oh, it's a nice picture. And I said, no, 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 talk to me, tell me what you see. Well, it's got this, 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 and this that are wrong. And I went, okay, fine. Thank you. And I'd go out and practice and take another picture trying to implement all that. And I'd bring it back. I'd beg it. And I think within a month or two, they said that I was one of the fastest growing uh, photographers. And uh, I needed to be because I need to earn a living. And uh, so it was uh, within that year, I started selling small prints to, well, I started with cards to Hallmark and things like that. Little cards with photos tucked in them and then smaller prints going to different stores. And I remember going into galleries and say, would you carry my small prints? And they'd say, what's your name? Nope, never heard of you, sorry. Nope, we're not interested. And, uh, but slowly I found little avenues. And uh, in three years from when I decided to become a landscape photographer, I ended up having my own gallery, opened my own gallery. Um, there's a story there. And I did art shows before that. But uh, yeah, it's been an interesting journey. Um, Took a, decided to become a landscape photographer to heal my soul and ended up becoming the same workaholic that I had been before. And but it, for, for yourself? For myself, but it didn't really deal with the issues for the first number of years. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So one of the things that you just talked about that I, I thought would be a really interesting topic to kind of dive a little bit deeper into is, is this idea of... Um, nature as a vehicle for self-healing okay but then also i'm wondering if there's a correlation between that and the tendency that um i think there's a lot of nature photographers that tend to be introverts mm -hmm. and i'm wondering if there's a connection there. absolutely oh i think there definitely is yeah it's fascinating as i look at the uh, land this isn't true of all photography it's true though of nature photography that the majority tend to be introverted. And using that term, uh, I'm using more of the Jungian uh, perspective on that, which is that an introvert is someone who gains energy by time alone, mm -hmm. and an extrovert is someone who gains energy by time with other people. Mm -hmm. And uh, so photography, I think, nature photography attracts people who need that time alone in the quiet of the wilderness. Um, Many, yeah, most of the photographers I know, they, they go out into the wilderness because that's the one place they can finally be quiet and they can still themselves. And yeah, the whole idea of nature as a way to heal oneself, I think is, that's one of the things I'm probably most passionate about, um, both for the photographer, but also for the audience uh, that I'm reaching out to. Because in my mind, we live superficial lives here uh, especially in the Western world, we're so busy, we're mm -hmm. so active, we're just going from thing to thing to thing, doing, 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 doing. But when you're out in nature, all of a sudden you begin to slow down because every, those trees are in no hurry, those rocks are in no hurry, <laughs> right. that light is taking its time as it rotates, and you begin to get into a different rhythm, and you begin to realize that there is there's a different way of being and uh, it's healing just to s kind of slow down a little bit, to s pay attention to the sound of the birds singing, the gurgle of the stream and all the different tones that it has. But I find that once you begin to slow down, uh, then all of a sudden you begin to encounter something of what's going on inside of you. Sometimes mm. all the junk that's in there all the stuff that's churning around that you just never paid attention to. Sometimes there's deep wounds or issues, you know, uh, that you just haven't dealt with. And the silence sort of brings all that to the surface. And because it brings it to the surface, it gives us an opportunity to start to deal with it. Mm -hmm. And if we begin to deal with it, we begin to find wholeness. And we begin to uh, able to come out to the world with a different perspective um, and not be caught up in the rat race and not be caught up in... And all the uh, silliness that's going around and, and the superficial ways of viewing things. And you can begin to look a little bit deeper if you take that time to allow yourself to slow down, connect with yourself and connect with the natural world. Yeah. In a nutshell. Sure. I think it's what's interesting uh, from my point of view because 
Um, I'm the same way that when I'm in nature, it's like it forces me to slow down and I start to see the world differently and, and it kind of puts everything into perspective for yeah. me. But I'm socially, I'm an extrovert, but right. when I'm out taking photographs, I'm an extreme introvert. Well, I think all of us can do both. We sure. have, you know, and it, the introversion extroversion is more of a preference. Sure. What is your tendency? You, I can use my left hand and my right hand, sure. but my tendency is with my right. And one of the things I find interesting is many people who are more extroverted are afraid of that silence, mm. and they're afraid to go out in, in, and to actually be alone. Uh, because then they face themselves, and that can be a little scary. Uh-huh. And uh, so I think it's a real healthy thing that you go out and that you spend that time by yourself out there. But that doesn't mean that you aren't then able to be social. Not everyone is like me that's quite uh, on the far extreme of my hero as a kid used to be um, Grizzly Adams, if you ever saw the show. <laughs> he lived in a mount- little cabin in the mountains with his bear. And I thought, yes, that's the life. <laughs> that used to be my dream. But it's so funny because um, this is the second time we've met, mm-hmm. and I've always found you to be super socially engaging and very thoughtful. And mm-hmm. um, I know some other people that are extreme introverts where it's like uh, they're just not very fun people to be around sometimes because sure. you can just that shyness and that... Sure. It's, it's almost painful to be around sometimes. And, and I could certainly be that way as well. Um, <laughs> you know, my, my wife does a lot of uh, uh, workshops based on personality, does it with large teams, helping mm-hmm. them integrate and work together and understand each other. So she gets into all the intricacies. And uh, uh, she would say that my particular type of personality has the ability to perform Mm. And uh, I can come out and I can engage, but then there is a cost that is paid afterwards uh, where I then crash and burn. Uh, and uh, so, so hopefully the next couple of days for you won't be too bad. <laughs> I'll take some time and get out in the mountains on my skis. So, yeah. <laughs> well, one of the things um, that I really appreciated about you is that um, is that you in my in my mind you've become a real leader around this idea of um, photography as a tool for communication, but specifically around issues surrounding environmentalism and conservation, and not from a um, I guess cheesy politicized view of conservation, but more of a wanting us as landscape photographers to to be more thought of as leaders um, and owning our role in this movement, whether or not we're political people or not, that's recognizing that we do have an impact and wanting to um, push forward the ideas uh, that we can all, if we come together, do more. So I was hoping you could expand upon that in terms of what's driving you to... Um, to be that leader because I do see you as a thought leader in that regard and um, I'm inspired by it but I want to understand what it's about for you okay well it's definitely not being about about being a leader I would uh, <laughs> I would love it if no one knew my name and I could uh, be anonymous but uh, for me it's it's sitting back and noticing trends and things happening and uh, you know in terms of the environmental areas it's just spending years watching impacts upon places i love increase uh year after year and uh, hearing from others about impacts on areas in norway and in iceland and in england and all over the world and going wow problems are going on and as i've talked to individuals most of them have said, well, that's too bad. I wish we could do something. Mm-hmm. And, and no one has felt like there was anything that could be done. And uh, I guess it's that same type of thing. You can't do that. I think, oh, well, there's got to be a way. And <laughs> challenge? So, a that's challenge. That's, <laughs> that plays into my whole workaholism that I need to deal with <laughs> and am dealing with to some degree. But, yeah, it's the sense that something needs to be done. No one's doing anything, so... 
I'll try at least to get the ball rolling, mm-hmm. and uh, but it, I don't want it to revolve around me. I want to see a movement started. And I think, back to the communication issue, we are, as photographers, have this huge following in the world uh, because it, social media is visible. It's a, it's a, it's a visual arts are uh, at the forefront of social media. You know, mm-hmm. you, you don't read posts with text very often, but people are all drawn to those images. And many often it's the nature photography images that are out there. And so I think, boy, we've got this huge audience and, uh, what are we doing with our audience? And most photographers are posting a picture and saying, look at this picture, isn't that great? And I guess I wanna say, can't we say something deeper? Isn't there something more that needs to be said about this? Can't we use this to educate people about um, our delicate natural world, which is being damaged at a rate that is just astonishing, you know, as we look at, uh, species disappearing. We're looking at uh, wild lands uh, being encroached on, not just in America, but across the planet. Uh, we look at all these, we look at how much things have changed in the last hundred years or even the last 50 years or the last 10 years, and it's shocking. And, you know, I remember growing up as a kid, and they would always talk about, well, your generation is going to take care of this, and your generation <laughs> is going to be so great. And I'm thinking, well, I guess I'm an adult now, aren't I? And what is my generation doing to care for this this world? Um, how are we protecting it? And I'm thinking, you know, I'm not standing up and making enough of a voice for these things. And I think about John Muir quite often and, and the impact that one man was able to have on our nation and beyond in terms of creating an awareness about the wonder of the natural world, how incredibly special and intricate. And he, he knew every plant, he knew every uh, piece, every grass and flower, and he just delighted in them. And in his writings, he shared that same delight and love with, with the American public. And through that, raised an awareness of, of how precious these areas are. And then at the same time, he became a thorn in the side of whatever administration was there. And I would love to see us as nature photographers be those ambassadors and advocates for the natural world and be a thorn in the side of, uh, of the government, whether it's Republican or Democrat, that we would be standing up for the natural world saying, no, we've got to protect these things. We've got to take care of clean air and water. No, we have to... Uh, extraction today at the loss forever of natural lands is just not worth it. And so I guess it's just a lack of, it's not seeing enough being done that's causing me to stand up, but I I know I'm not alone and I'm thrilled to see so many others standing up on these issues. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a great, people listening probably don't know, but we've gathered a semi-large group of photographers here in Ridgeway to discuss that very topic and try to figure out what we can do to to try to be change agents and try to grow a movement of people that are concerned and want to do more to embody what we believe are some principles that can hopefully change or stem the, the tide of what we're seeing, the things that you're describing. And um, Do you have hope that, that these efforts... I mean, are you optimistic, pessimistic, realistic? Where do you, well, where do you I, sit? I look at our current situation. Well, and there are many different issues. There is the large issue of uh, the way our governments view natural lands, and that's, that's one issue. There's the impact that the growing visitation is having on our natural lands, and that's another big concern. And then the place I always feel it has to start is with me and uh, my own little community, which happens to be the nature photography community, you know, and starting with myself, what steps can I begin? Because we all can moan about the bigger things and say, oh, we are helpless, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't get us anywhere. So I always like to say, well, what is my responsibility? What can I do? And then I say, well, what can we do together as as my, uh, you know, uh, friends and uh, uh, fellow uh, nature photographers, and uh, I'm hopeful. I rem- I'm not hopeful that we can turn the tide back and restore all that's been broken, but I'm hopeful that we can slow the damage down 
at least as far as goes within our network and our responsibility as nature photographers, because I feel like we have contributed to the growth in visitation. We have encouraged people to visit sensitive areas that have gotten damaged. We have not talked about the delicateness and the preciousness and the, and what we're actually seeing in terms of the change of these natural uh, landscapes. And so I feel like we could change that, and I'm hopeful about that part. And I guess I view it a little bit like the 1970s when we had this huge problem with garbage everywhere on all the roads and everywhere you go in America, you'd see, you'd see garbage. And eventually some folks said enough is enough and started a campaign to bring awareness to the impact we were having on our country. And over the course of five to seven years, we saw this huge shift in mentality. And that is what I want to see. You know, I, I, I want to see us as a photography community change our mentality to think about our own responsibility. And then I, after that, I want to see us, and I think we can, uh, become voices to the larger world about how we can go about caring for it. And so I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. What would you say to those people that um, would counter with that it's not us as photographers that's causing this problem, it's, it's the, the, the hordes of people on social media and Instagram and Facebook and it's, it's, um, you know, it's tourists and, it's, and it's, uh, it's not us, it's them. So what would you say to the people that are, that are responding in that fashion? Yeah, I, I would agree that there is a ton of damage being done by others. Absolutely. But I can't fix others. And I can fix myself and my own involvement. And I would also challenge them and say the idea that it's all it's someone else's problem and it really has nothing to do with me is, is an illusion. Uh, if you talk to the National Park Service or you talk to... Uh, yeah, a lot of any anyone. You talk to the Iceland Bureau of Tourism, and you say, "What's caused this huge influx of visitation?" And they'll say, "All oh, these beautiful pictures being posted of these places." <laughs> you know, saying, "You know, this particular fall is. Look at this. Isn't this incredible place?" And I would say we bear a great deal of responsibility for that increase in visitation. And you can say, "Well, that's already happened. Now what?" No, I say there's still things we can do. Let's do everything within our power. I will take responsibility for, even if I haven't impacted Iceland or Norway or whatever, I will want to start taking responsibility in how I talk about my photography, how I share locations, I want to, how I uh, tread on uh, delicate surfaces in the wilderness. I want to bring everything within my capability up to the top standard of, of protection for these places so that in 100 years, 200 years, there are still pristine, beautiful wilderness areas. Mm. Uh, it just it has to start with me. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree, obviously. Yeah. But um, I think it's interesting that there are people out there, and I've even had people... Um, make comments on iTunes like this is turning into a conservation sure. podcast yeah. and it's like well I've just me and many of the guests that have come on have voiced their concern about yeah. that topic and I think you know, it's what, irresponsible not to talk about it it so. is and what really brought it home to me is uh, I focus on Rocky Mountain National Park and I had I during the early years I went all uh, I tried to cover all 415 square miles, and I have pretty much all of it. Uh, but I took pictures of the, I found where the very best wildflowers were in the park, seven miles back. And I found where, you know, the best this is and the best that, and photographed all these things. And I just posted on my website and on uh, networks their locations. And then I've seen those places way back that they wouldn't have discovered or known about if it wasn't for me. Uh, I've seen them like wildflower area turned to gravel just because it's all been trampled by people. Mm -hmm. How did they try, how did they know to even go there? Well, me. And, uh, and so as I started to recognize my culpability in my own little area, I thought, yeah, I, it has to start here and uh, we have to do something and I'm going to do all that I can. And if we, I mean, we're seeing it everywhere. 
everywhere we go, we're seeing this huge influx of photographers. We're seeing damage to our environment on a, on a catastrophic level across the globe. That's why everyone's talking about it. It's not because it's the latest fad or because this is an environmental podcast, but it, we're at a point of crisis and we photographers have some responsibility in that crisis to do something. All right. Well, so what message do you think we can speak together as photographers to that? To that? Yeah, I think I've already mentioned that. But if it was John Muir's love of, he shared his love of nature. He shared, he taught about it. He didn't just say, oh, isn't that pretty? But he actually taught about, uh, you know, you know, he talked about the, the marmot or the pika in, in great detail or, you know, whatever animal he's, he's dealing with and help people fall in love with it. A friend of mine, actually, uh, is Barry, uh, who's on the podcast, very sweet, uh, likes to say, uh, you can't love something you don't know about. You first have to, to know and understand something to love it. And I think, so one, we can begin educating people about, instead of just posting a picture and saying, isn't this pretty? Use it to educate and inform people and help them see the wonder of it and the, the miraculousness of it. And then secondly, have people speak out about how delicate and how precious these things are. Um, and so in terms of conservation, I, I think we can raise our voice in those regards. But on the same issue of us communicating, as I mentioned before, I think, as I've said, we have, we live shallow lives in this country. We don't tend to go real deep. Uh, we just scratching the surface. And I think our photography can encourage people to move towards deeper contemplation, deeper reflection, deeper thoughtfulness in what they do. And we, we live such harried lives and, and we can speak about uh, slowing down and finding peace and finding uh, meaning. You know, I know you're a big fan of uh, Viktor Frankl. I am. You know, yeah. and uh, Man's Search for Meaning. And I think that's one of the things that we, I think nature can help facilitate is that search for meaning and uh, what what is this life all about? And I think if we can create art that isn't just about, oh, look at this, but that actually speaks and asks deeper questions and causes people to reflect and think about their lives and how they live and what's important, I think that can make a huge impact. I've noticed that um, you pretty much uh, specifically use Twitter now to to share your photography, but what I've noticed about it is that um, you try to kind of introduce like a thoughtful kind of reflection right. within the image that you're posting like like what it felt like to be there or or things like that is that something that you've recently started doing or no i've been doing it for a long time okay uh, I, i'm only moving more to twitter because facebook is cutting down the yeah not you know you got Engaged, thousands yeah. of people that supposedly follow you and only a few of them are seeing it so i'm having to pursue other avenues but but no it the question I always ask myself is, how do I, with my little tiny life, how do I make this world a better place? How do I bring goodness into this world? And uh, I think I look at the people that are looking at these pictures, I picture them in a cubicle sitting in uh, Detroit, you know, working on their life in this gray, possibly meaningless. And I'm thinking, how can I, with all the beauty that I get to experience and see, how can I somehow use this to help not just give a little eye candy but but help them uh, experience some of the things that I experience in nature and help them go a little bit deeper and uh, so that I guess that's where I'm coming from so would you say that that idea of um, helping other people connect to these uh, these places and these um, experiences is one of your primary motivations or do you have other motivations well, that drive you to take plenty those? of motivations it gets <laughs> complicated but i think that the main one is i want us to move towards health and wholeness and goodness um you know so much of the dialogue that goes on especially on social networking is just not helpful to mm -hmm. anyone and it's just kind of empty mm. and uh, i don't want to live an empty life i don't want to live a thought thoughtless life and uh, so I 
it's how can we help people find wholeness, uh, encounter their deeper selves that they, they ignore and overlook? How can we have them engage with each other in a more healthy and meaningful way? And how can they engage with their world in a healthy and uh, way that will we'll continue to care? And uh, yeah, it's basically how do we bring goodness into this world through our little lives? What is our part? Awesome. Have you seen that that kind of approach and that message resonates with the the people that follow your photography? Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it may not be, you know, I, I reach a very different audience than a lot of photographers do. And I, I'm not trying. I'm not trying to necessarily reach out to the photography community. Um, but it has attracted lots of people who are hungering after some sort of, of meaning. I get letters all the time, letters, mm. cards, emails, uh, messages constantly saying, you know, how this is what helps them get through their day or helps them uh, through crises or through whatever. Yeah, all, all the time, all the time. And, you know, what I did just recently is I compiled a bunch of my writings that I did out in the wilderness and put them into a new book, and that yeah. is resonating with a lot of people. So, yeah, I, I, think, I think we're all... We're all searching for what is this all about, you know, and why, who am I, and, and what's, what's truly meaningful? Is it the latest thing that our government is doing, or, or this personality is doing, or that's happening? I don't think any of that really has a great significance in our lives. I think uh, they're deeper, more important things uh, that we're just kind of ignoring. And when we bring these things up, a lot of people do seem to say, I never thought, wow. There's much more here than I realized. Yeah, I'm curious um, because you get um, your entire income is from photography through your gallery in Estes Park, and I'm curious if there's ever um, if you ever have like inner conflict around this idea that you're dependent upon. Uh, making an income of producing an image or a message to people or how do you I'm not saying that's a bad no, no. thing but I think um, I think for some people that would be a hard thing to reconcile to be able to do both of those things at the same time right. and I said that really poorly but <laughs> yeah and I'm trying to figure out the right way to grab a handle on it um, because I guess I don't see a, a dichotomy there uh, although yeah I started off with photography as a way to feed my family and take care of my own soul right. out in the wilderness. And then as I began to find more balance, a little, little more health and thoughtfulness, I realized, boy, I'm not alone in hungering for this. Others are too. And so while this rest of this business is still is going and moving ahead, I thought, well, this is what people are hungering for, and this is where I'm being moved, and these are the things that are impo most important to me. I'm just going to start to share them. And people started to resonate with them. And, you know, now I've got that one book out on that. Well, I've done it in a number of different formats, but uh, now I'm earning income writing about these things, and that was never even an idea before. It just sort of is a natural development. And, oh, okay, I... I'm doing the things that I'm most passionate about and people are interested in it's making an income. Wow, I, I, that's just a, that's an, a bonus. I didn't actually expect that. I, I spoke about these other things just because I'm passionate about them. Mm -hmm. I think, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Gary Vaynerchuk. I no. probably butchered his name, but he's, a, he's kind of like a motivational speaker, more in like the business world, right. but he talks about if you can align your passion with your um, with how to make money like yeah. it and not having it be forced that like that's a I forget what he calls it but it like that's like the golden yeah. thing like if you can monetize what makes you super happy um, and it's because yeah. it becomes effortless yes um, and to some degree I mean obviously you put a ton of work into your photography and your books and your gallery right. and all that stuff but 
It doesn't feel like work. Probably. No, I, 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 <laughs> if I retired today, this is what I would do. Right. Yeah. Whether I got any money out of it or not. Sure. Know, I mean, because this is, this is what I believe most deeply, you know, we're just scratching on some of it. But, uh, um, yeah, I, I, I don't see a dichotomy there. And I think there is, I like how Frederick Buechner uh, says it, uh, find the place where your passion and the world's needs meet. Hmm. And that's, that's where you're supposed to be. And uh, the economic thing, if photography didn't make money, as I said, I'd still be doing the same thing I'm doing. And because uh, this is where I feel I need to be at this moment. And it, this happens to earn an income. And so I go, wow, this is just <laughs> extra bonus. Yeah. And I think that's pretty amazing that you're able to, um, to bring both of those things together. I think a lot of um, photographers that are trying to be full-time photographers really struggle with the kind of tug and pull of the business side and the wanting to get out and take photos side. Absolutely. Um, so how do you reconcile those two kind of obvious needs that you have? Yeah. When I was originally, when I originally talked to some people who did photography full time, they told me that eighty percent to eighty-five percent of their time was spent in an office doing business and stuff. And I thought, no, come on, I can make this different. Nope. <laughs> nope. I, you know, I do the photography. I have friends who are not professional who are able to get out and photograph more than I can. I, you know, I've got so many plates off and spinning. Um, I have to go out early in the morning, and then I come back, and, uh, and then I get to a full work day after I'm done out in the field. Um, it's it's a difficult balance, but boy, when I'm out there and have that chance to slow down and to to think and to engage with the things that are important uh, I mean that's the best part I mean that's just it's like the frosting on top but unfortunately it isn't the whole cake mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. well that's cool so um, so based on the name of the podcast mm-hmm. F-Stop Collaborate and Listen yeah uh, what advice would you have for other photographers um, that and particularly from kind of your unique point of view as you know, someone who uh, has a deep connection to the wilderness wants to do what they can to um, protect those places. Like, what advice would you have for those people? Yeah, well, I guess first thing I would say, beyond before we get to the uh, the conservation component, I, I would really want to encourage newer photographers to sort of ask why. Why are they uh, doing photography? Look, look past the photo itself and ask why. Why are you taking this photo? Um, is it to just to, something to post online, or is there something you actually want to say? What are you feeling when you look at this scene? What are you experiencing? What are you thinking about? What are the? Why do you think this experience is worth sharing with the world? Um, and I think refining. You know, what you're wanting to say to the world and with your life is a starting point. Uh, and then the photography. See, I, I see photography as a tool for communication. But you got to have a message first. Mm-hmm. And I think many people get right out and say, look at my fancy, look at the letters I typed on my keyboard, or my typewriter. And, you know, it's just a bunch of gobbledygook. It, do, it may be pretty, but it doesn't say anything. And I think, what is that message you want to say? And I think it may be about the things that are deepest in you. And I hope that part of that will be an appreciation and love for this natural world. And that that will as well come through in your, in your art. And that you'll find a way to express and to share a love for these places with other people. I want us to move from using the natural world um, to being its... Uh, ones who are ambassadors who love and give ourselves for the preservation of these places so if if someone's listening um to the podcast and they're and that is something that resonates with them what are some steps that they can take in order to to do that yeah um 
firstly, I, because we live in such a social network a world, it's all about social networking these days. And so if you're going to be sharing your stuff online, talk about it. Talk about why you took it. Talk about the experience. Talk about um, uh, why you love natural lands, what they mean to you. Uh, share your love. Help other people catch it. You know, if you're living in... Uh, some big city or far from from the wilderness and never get a chance to experience it let them let them experience it through you because if if they don't experience it and understand its value and even its uh, delicateness and and how it's being damaged how are they going to prioritize that if they've never had the opportunity to to have those same experiences so take people along with you not in necessarily in saying i was at this lake and this happened but rather share <laughs> what you felt and share what you experienced share what you see help them fall in love with it like you are hmm. i'm curious um since since you uh started your gallery and started seeing some of the impacts of sharing of locations and things like that. How have you personally uh, changed some of your approaches to certain sure. things? Sure. This happened a number of years ago. Back in 2013 is when I really started to recognize that there was impact as a result of my photos. And so I actually went uh, to the National Park Service and, and many of them are friends of mine in leadership. And I sat down with uh, some of them and said, help. I do not want to photograph. If my photographs are going to hurt this place I love, uh, is there a way around this? How, how, how can we deal with this? And so we spent a lot of time brainstorming, coming up with ideas. And this was, you know, before anyone else was really talking about sharing photo locations. And we decided that I would only share locations that were on an official national park trail anything that was off that those trails i wouldn't share for the purpose of preservation and boy during those early days i got a lot of flack a lot of people didn't like that but um you know and my encouragement if you read through some of my books is saying go out and find it yourself i'm not trying to stop you from going out and uh, shooting my shot go out, there's so much to experience, and there are tens of thousands of, of scenes that I've never shot, even, that are brand new. Go out and experience it for yourself. Um, but yeah, so we agreed to keep locations to only places that are on official trails, and so far that seemed to work fairly well. And you know, I've even written guidebooks for uh, photographing the National Park, and it all written with the idea of how can you go and experience and photograph beautiful places without causing damage and uh, go to areas that uh, you won't be affecting or that you can shoot from a trail? And uh, so I think there are ways that we can minimize our impact. What would you say to those photographers that, um, that feel like we should share locations, that, sure. that it, it doesn't... It doesn't matter um, that you know we should be readily we should readily share with the world where locations are. Be, um, to me, it feels like it's kind of like this sense of entitlement that some photographers have that I should be able to f shoot whatever the heck I want. And and I don't think that's what you're trying to say. You're not saying don't shoot these places. I think what you're saying is be mindful of the impact you have by sharing that location with the world. But what would you say to those people? Yeah. Um, I didn't mean to answer the question for No, you, I didn't, but... you, that's great. <laughs> uh, I, I, would, I would show them places all over the world and say, I'd love to show them a picture from beforehand and today and say, do you see an impact from these areas? And areas that were only known about because photographers shared those locations. It's shocking. I mean, it really is shocking the amount of damage that's happened. You know, as my friend Barry often likes to say, if you call something paradise, you kill it. You, you say, this place is amazing, and you show a picture of it, the crowds go. Mm -hmm. you know? And it only takes uh, 10 passes in a place to create a social trail. You know, Five in and five out. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're doing that all over the world. And I would say, yeah, maybe it's great to share information with each other, but not at the expense of our of our precious uh, natural world that is in peril right now because of the uh, ever-increasing number of people visiting 
both ever-increasing photographers and the general public who are often going there because of the photographers. Mm -hmm. And so I'd say we have a huge responsibility. And if you're saying we could share and should share everything, I think you're being, you either don't care about our natural land or you're being naive about it. Mm -hmm. So, uh, yeah, we have to take action. Beautiful. So who would you like to hear on the podcast? Oh, there are all sorts of guys I'd love to hear. There's so many great photographers out there. But I, I would like to reach out beyond some of our network somewhat and see. I'd love to hear Richard Burnaby, uh, who travels. I'd like to know how in the world he does it. <laughs> what, oh, I'm in Iceland today. Oh, I'm in South Africa. Oh, today I'm in... Yeah, I don't know how these guys do it. Love to hear some background on that. I'd love to hear um, you know, from some of the old guys. Maybe Jack DeKinga uh, would be fun. Or, uh, or maybe even someone like Mark Munch uh, talking about uh, growing up with the whole uh, photography thing and where it's at today. Um, you know, uh, Chip Phillips is one of the photographers that really inspires me. Um, but uh, there are so many out there. I know. It's so a... many guys I follow and I look at their stuff and say, what am I doing? I'll, yeah, just inspiring stuff. Yeah. Well... Thanks for the recommendations. I appreciate it. Yeah. And uh, I think we're going to do a deeper dive into the on the Patreon part of the podcast into kind of more the the gallery side of things. And I think that will be exciting for people if they want to tune in, go to Patreon. Thanks for having me here, Matt. Absolutely. Thanks so much. <laughs> <laughs>